When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, this is Andrew Thien, podcast editor for The Oregonian and Oregon Live. The theme song on this episode, we went with the Beaver Banter theme song because Oregon State won the rivalry game between Oregon and Oregon State last year. So that's why you'll hear the Beaver music. All right, here's James Crepia, Aaron Fentress, and Nick Daschle for a special Ducks Confidential Beaver Banter collaboration pod. Welcome in, Ducks and Beavers fans. We have a special treat for you this week leading up to Oregon and Oregon State. Instead of having the Ducks Confidential Podcast and the Beaver Banter Podcast, we're going to have the combined Oregon State-Oregon Confidential Banter Podcast leading up to whatever we're calling this game. There's no official name yet for it, but it is the showdown between Oregon and Oregon State. I am Aaron Fentress of the Oregonian, and I'm joined by our... Oregonian beat writer for the Beavers, Nick Daschle, and our Oregon Ducks beat writer for, obviously, the Ducks, James Crepia. Gentlemen, how are you feeling today? Uh, good. <laughs> you, sound, <laughs> you, guys well. sound, you guys sound so excited. Come on, let's get some enthusiasm. I even had my coffee, and I'm all fired up for this because I have been hoping all season for a meaningful end-of-the-year game between these two teams. It is the most meaningful. I can narrow down to uh, 2009 was the last time these two played where a huge uh, out, a huge bowl game was on the horizon. The Rose Bowl had Oregon State beaten Oregon that year. Oregon State would have gone to the Rose Bowl. In this situation, they're playing for a trip to the Pac-12 title game. However, Oregon State still needs some help from Washington State by losing to Washington in order for Oregon State's win over Oregon to propel the Beavers into the Pac-12 title game. Still, a lot is on the line this week. The Ducks are a seven-point favorite. We are going to speed through a uh, loaded rundown here as we get opinions from both of you on how you think this game is going to go. Initially, right now, both gentlemen have picked the Beavers to win this game, which I'm a little surprised by. I am going to stick with the home team for now and say I think Oregon is going to bounce back from that devastating loss at Utah and win. But let's get your initial thoughts, starting with Nick. Nick, obviously, Beavers moved to 7-4. and four, Big win over Arizona State, one of their best, best wins of the season by far. How do you feel, the Beavers feel about themselves going into this game with the Ducks? A team that they beat last year, uh, what, 41-34, I believe? What do, you, what do you think about the Beavers right now? Yeah, forty-one thirty-eight. Uh, yeah, I mean, I serious. I seriously thought about. I I seriously thought Monday about making no pick at all because I honestly, I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. If if the game was at Oregon State, I'd I I would, I would definitely be on Oregon State. But 
they just on the road they're they've just been a different team other than the game at USC so that that part sticks and you know sticks heavy but they're they're a different team right now now that Trent Bray is coordinating the defense they're they're you know pressing up against the receiver the receivers a lot more on defense they're 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 getting to the quarterback a little better they're just they're just playing they have more energy now i mean some of this obviously they played two teams that aren't going great on offense right now stanford obviously has got a lot of issues and and arizona state is missing some guys but you know they they still arizona state still had a still have an experienced quarterback and, a, and the hottest running back in the conference and, and Oregon state shut them down and they're playing an Oregon team, you know, that's probably not firing at all cylinders either offensively. So I, I think this is the, this is the first time Oregon state's taken this defense on the road under Trent Bray. So that, that that'll be a different twist. And James, the, the, the ducks, I, I mean, it looked like if they just won out, they were going to have an exceptional chance of getting into the playoffs not only did they stumble, they got smashed. And plus, injuries continue to add up. Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Michael Pittman quit the team. That's three receivers gone. Uh, how do you think the, the Ducks are going to be able to bounce back from that devastating loss? Yeah, I mean, sooner or later, you have to be pretty human. You know, you can't just say, you know, all the coach speak and want to know and 24-hour rules and you move on and all. You know, sounds nice, but... This is this is a brutal situation. You know, we all know, we all recognize, and the players are human, the coaches are human. They recognize that they had an opportunity before them that is gone now. Now you could say like, well, basically every team in America who's not right now, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Cincinnati, Ohio State, Michigan, whatever, you know, the top five, six teams could say the same thing at some point or another in their season. But not November. <laughs> There's only so many teams who actually get to the point where they're at that that situation, and who had one of the best wins in college football this season at Ohio State, and have done the things that Oregon did to put themselves in a position. They did. They were there. They were on the cusp. And for the second time in three seasons, defense cost them. Third down defense specifically cost them. And the glaring issues with this defense that have been there all season that we have harped on all season came back to haunt them in inglorious fashion in Salt Lake City. It was a pillar to post beating, but it was largely on the defense. Right. It, you know, yeah, the offense didn't score a whole bunch of points. No, you're right. Yeah, there was a missed field goal. There was a block field goal. Those things come into play. And, of course, you could say, well, you score touchdowns rather than field goals. Yes, I'm not taking everything away from, you know, that the offense made no mistakes. They certainly did. But to your point, when the receiving core suffers, you know, three of the top four players not being with them within the span of a week for one reason or another, well, this team now has six healthy scholarship receivers. Only four of them are significant contributors. Multiple of them have been on scout team before. And of that four, by the way, a couple of them are freshmen who were working their way up the depth chart in the process. And, yeah, we'll see what that looks like, not just this week, but just in general. We saw a little bit last week, but I don't put it just on the receivers. I don't put it just on any one player in the offense. They got beat around in every aspect of the game last week to try and say, oh, well, now it's a rivalry game, so therefore it automatically refocuses you to something. Yeah, this, this isn't a video game. 
<laughs> you know, these are human beings. And they have to have a scale right. of disappointment. And it's not a disappointment that dissipates and goes away in one day. Now, again, that doesn't mean that I think that the, because of that, that's the causality that leads to a loss to or- against Oregon State. And again, I haven't made a, a final score prediction and all these sorts of things, but my initial impression is that Oregon State wins because they do exactly what Oregon can't <laughs> stop. And we've talked about it all year for this reason, because okay, Oregon's going to play a bunch of teams in November. Don't jump ahead too much. Don't jump ahead too much. We're going to get to that. But just saying, that's the initial impression is there's there's things that one team does really well, and there's things that one team does very poorly, and it seems like those are the things that are colliding on Saturday. Okay, we're going to get to that, because clearly the the rushing attacks of these two teams are, you know, their calling card. This is what they do. These are two of the best rushing teams, not only in in the Pac-12, but in the nation. Um, They're both top 30, right? You guys might know those rankings. I don't know. I think yeah. they're both top 30. Anyway, so let's start, though, with Oregon's defense. Excuse me. No, no. I'm going to save that because I know James is going to have a lot to say about that. Let's go the other way. Let's start with um, Oregon's rushing attack against Oregon State's defense. Now, Oregon had been running the ball extremely well, getting a lot of production from Brown, of course, Die, and then they just went completely kaput in this game. Now, we all knew that Utah had a, a good defense and could – you know, put up some resistance, but in no way did I see that coming. So my question for you, A, what happened in that game? And B, how do you think their offense will fare against Oregon State's run defense, which is solid, but not great? Well, going back to the Utah game specifically, you, first off, obviously you can't take anything from the second half by way of uh, rushing performance because when you're down 28 points – you're not running the football. So let's, I mean, let's just concede the obvious error that yes, they end up at 63 rushing yards on just 23 carries. It's, it's bad and gross. It's bad and average. It's bad. Yes. All, all the yes. But at the same time, when you're down 28, you're not, you're not going to run the ball very much in the second half. You're not going to run at all, basically. So what happened? Well, at times they were taken out of, the ability to run because of penalties, because of starting off with an incomplete pass uh, or just getting getting behind the sticks. And Travis and I had four carries in the first half. You could say, well, that's not enough. But if you actually get into the plays, because they didn't run that many plays. Oregon only ran 58 plays in the game. And, you know, that's that's pretty hard to come up with. You know, so what's what's the right number pass to run in a game where you're down 28 at halftime, how many runs are you supposed to have when you only have 58 plays? We only had four for die in the first half. A couple of them came on third and 19 and third and 10. Now, a lot of it was just circumstantial where more than anything. And again, that's not excuses. That's just explaining exactly how that went down. And yeah, and, and Byron Carbo got in the game as well uh, because they do have two running backs who they're leaning on pretty heavily right now. So they did run a good amount of times on first and 10 overall, particularly with Cardwell, uh, a couple of times to die as well. But when you get behind the sticks, when you have penalties that arise and you have incomplete passes, and when you have drives that end without points, it got harder and harder. And then obviously second half, forget it. Then it, then it just got totally away from them. Against a very good Utah defense, who is stout against the run, had pr- before Saturday, had actually had 
kind of a mixed bag of results against better running teams. Utah had far away its best performance of the season against the run. I don't I don't care what the numbers say, what the averages are. When you factor in who they were stopping, that was far and away Utah's best performance. And good on them. They had a terrific showing in that way. But Oregon had far and away its worst rushing performance, in part because, yes, the second half where they couldn't run anymore anyway, but mainly because they were getting beat all up and down the line of scrimmage. They weren't getting a nearly enough push. And like I say, some of it was circumstantial. In terms of going up against an Oregon State defense that has made significant strides there over the last couple of games, particularly. I mean, you change coordinators and see 136 and 100 rushing yards. Now, again, Stanford's terrible, so I'm not going to get, you know, frankly, five a little over five yards to carry against Stanford uh, is really not that good. But to hold Arizona State to 100 rushing yards and to completely bottle up White uh, and Daniels to a good extent as well, that's really impressive. That's extremely impressive to me. So you see those, and you understand. And again, you have one team with all the motiva- all the motivation and incentive in the world uh, to win, especially if the Apple Cup goes uh, Oregon State's way, and one team who is coming off getting just embarrassed uh, and struggled in a big way. I'm not saying that Oregon will not be able to run the ball at all, but they're coming off of a terrible performance where Utah showed everybody exactly now what to do. Oregon State, I'm not sure, has the talent necessarily on defense to do it, but they have made massive strides here on defense against the run the last couple of weeks. And I'm not sure that Oregon's passing game, even if they threw 20 deep shots in this game, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the answer because... And this isn't a knock on the young receivers. I think the the freshman receivers might be some of the most talented on the, I felt like they might be some of the most talented on the team to begin with. But they're only playing in their most significant action of the season now. Because there were older players who were doing pretty well ahead of them. So I don't know how much they're going to... Either team, frankly, is going to be able to vertically stretch the field. I'm not sure that's going to be the difference maker here. In terms of strength on strength, running offense here for the Ducks... Yeah, they're capable. Travis Dye may get his. We've seen him do it against Oregon State before. But this is a very different Oregon State defense than 2018. Absolutely. All right, Nick, let's get to your response or your evaluation of Oregon State's defense. Now, it's been better, allegedly, after the firing. But this is still a team that did lose to Cal, did lose to Colorado. How do you think they will stack up against Oregon's run game, which has been really good all season until this past week. Yes, the you know they had to throw a lot in that game to come back, but still they weren't extremely effective rushing the football. But they do have a big, massive, talented offensive line. How do you think the Beavers stack up in this game? Well, again, I go back to you know what what is Oregon State doing now that Trent Bray is is coordinating the defense and who have they played, and I. You know Stanford is is just not good. I mean, let's face, it, they're just not good. But <laughs> but but Arizona State has got a few weapons, and I I kind of think they're a little bit like Oregon. They're you know they have the good running back, you know a quarterback that can run some, but the receiving core is way down. Uh, Arizona State was down to you know maybe a couple guys. They lost their tight end before you know during game week to a car accident. Um, you know, Oregon's receivers are probably, you know, somewhere maybe a little, a little, a little better than Arizona state, but, but they're obviously down. 
so, you know, maybe Oregon State's catching another wounded animal, um, you know, third week in a row. They're, we don't know if Avery Roberts is going to play Saturday. I, I think he's going to try, but I'm going to say he's probably not going to play, which on paper looks like a big loss. But Kyrie Fisher was tremendous in, in his, uh, you know, picking up the slack when he came in in the first half for for Avery. Um, he led the team in tackles. He had he hit the quarterback three times. Um, you know, he had a couple he, – he got in on a sack. Um, so I, I don't know they're going to fall off that much if Avery Roberts doesn't play. Their, 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 their defensive line has been much better – especially now that Keanu Shad is, is really engaged and, and, and healthy and everything. He, he's, he kind of makes them play a little better. Uh, I just, I, I'm still, I, I don't, I, my, I just, I, I'd like to see him play against an offense <laughs> that, that, that is running on, on all cylinders to know if this defense has really turned the corner or if they're just running into, you know, teams that just can't get out of their own way. I I, I don't know that. I, I tend to think that they're better on defense with Bray. They just seem to be the energies there. Um, you know, my, my concern with Oregon state's always been, can they, can they stop the, the, the deep shot, the, the, the 20 to 30 yard pass downfield. They, they've always had trouble stopping that 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 throw they they've done pretty well of late with running quarterbacks they uh cam rising had a big first half against them when they played utah and then they put they put the inside linebackers they alternated them as spies on him and he he in the third fourth quarter he he was pretty ineffective and in scrambling and and Jaden daniels last week he he had a couple of decent runs, but other than that, he, he really didn't do a whole lot. So again, I, I, I think Oregon state's coming in this, into this game on an upswing. I just need to see more, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's difficult to tell where they are and Oregon's definitely going to provide that test because Oregon's going to bring the big time offensive line. They're going to bring the big time back and a quarterback who can run. So Oregon State's definitely going to be tested. So let's let's switch things around now, and let's start with you again, Nick. Though, um, Oregon State's rushing attack has been the most consistent in the conference, I believe. BJ Baylor, twelve hundred yards this season. Uh, they're going up against a front seven that had been pretty consistent until this past week, giving up two hundred eight yards, four touchdowns against Utah. Clearly, this is the key to the game for Oregon State, probably for both teams. But Oregon State has to be able to run the football, not only. Do you help Chance Nolan, who is still a pretty green quarterback and not someone you expect to carry you, especially at Austin, but you keep Kayvon from wreaking havoc in the backfield and teeing off on your quarterback. How do you see Oregon State uh, faring in the run game against Oregon's defense, which, like I said, they've been pretty good for most of the season, but obviously Utah sort of set the blueprint for how to beat the Ducks this past weekend. Well, I know Beaver fans are going to lose their mind if Oregon State comes out and starts throwing <laughs> on the first series because they they've done that several times this year just because they're I, I think they they're thinking oh they, you know the the defense is going to they're going to be setting up to stop the run so we're going to hit them with a pass which never seems to work. Um, it might be a good idea. <laughs> 
to try it again here, though, because you know Oregon's going to come up with something. Uh, they haven't been successful at it, but they'll try something to, to – to, their Oregon State's offensive line is, is just playing great right now. I mean, they've got, they've got at least two first-team all-Pac-12 uh, linemen – and maybe even three, but at least at least three guys that are going to be on the first two teams for sure. You would think. Um, B.J. Baylor has been, you know, he's been just solid. He 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 doesn't have that, you know, that home run threat that maybe Jamar Jefferson has, but he's pretty effective even when he does get loose. He's he's got six hundred six one hundred yard games. Oregon State's running game has 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 been over two hundred yards. Uh, nine of eleven games. They're number one in the conference in 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 the run. They're number eight in the in the country in, in the running game. Um, I you know they're going to put those two tight ends out there, and I'm sure that that they're going to find the side that Thibodeau's on, and that's where they're going to probably line up. Just like they're just going to do just what Utah did. And there'll be times when they'll they'll even run three tight ends out there. Shoot, they ran four tight ends out there a couple times against Washington State. Uh, you know, and then there's the Jack Coletto package, which has just been, I, I mean, it's as simple as it gets, but stopping it's just been impossible for defenses. I, I don't get it, but he, he's just been, it's incredible how efficient the guy is when he comes in on third or fourth down in short yardage or in a or short yardage touchdown situation. He, he delivers like 95% of the time. Um, I think he's been stopped twice in 28, 28 attempts this year, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I it's just you, you just wonder how you, you wonder how Oregon you kind of wonder a little bit how Oregon State is going to approach this game in terms of the passing game because when they're at their best, they only throw fifteen to twenty times a game. Every once in a while, they get cute and and overthink the situation. And you'd like to think they're just going to come out and just and just make Oregon stop their running game until they can't until they can't run it. And so that's I mean that's what they should do. I I, I think that's what they'll do. But with what, what we've seen this year, you just don't know that's what they're going to do. Well, here's one thing I know: if James Kreppy is offensive coordinator for Oregon State. He is putting as many tight ends out there as he can. <laughs> he is going to run right at Oregon all day, all long. James has been all over Oregon's inability to handle 12 personnel all season long. I think they had a pretty good game against UW in that regard, if I remember. Yep. I can't remember. And and But then they came right back against Utah and just got killed. Uh, I'm sure you were all over that in the stadium. Uh, so how given that, given that this has been their kryptonite and you've been documenting it all season – do you just feel like Oregon is in huge trouble this week? And what can they do to combat what Oregon State does? I wouldn't even play a wide receiver if I were Oregon State. <laughs> just, just leave them at home. Leave them in the I, dorms. I just say, listen, you can return a punt. You can return a kick. Maybe we'll go out as a decoy. We'll, we'll have to put you out there. But I, I, and I, I w- I'm not even sure I would split somebody out wide. Why bother? Why, 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 you know, why be patronizing about it? Why even try to be complicated? You know, we, we know what's coming. Uh, it's like, hey, here's a glaring weakness that there just so happens to be this team over here who is exactly engineered uh, and built to do exactly this thing. 
yeah i mean this this it's again there's there's been a reason you know the, the method to the madness the thought behind you know hitting on something all year that happened to be a glaring weakness of the Oregon defense was because of who they were playing in November and that they were going to be playing teams that are built around pro style, multiple tight end offenses and heavy running attacks. And yes, against UW, they showed significant strides in far and away their best results of the season in that regard. Turns out uh, Washington's awful. And <laughs> some of their offensive linemen are unbelievably overrated. And some of their tight ends are just, uh, frankly, Kate Otten's just not very big uh, compared to some of Oregon's defensive linemen. So a couple of years ago, that might have been a little bit more of an even contest. This year, very much not. Well, all right. Well, now you've got a matchup with an Oregon State offensive line and tight end group that showed last season that it can handle taking on the Oregon front. Many of the same players, many, not all, not all, not a hundred percent. And some of the guys have changed, you know, even on the interior, but grand scheme of things, not to the point where you'd say, Oh, well now obviously Oregon's going to, and I realized that, you know, you could say, well, in talent alone, if we're going on purely talent or next level uh, potential and draft ability and all those sorts of things, well, there's no question you'd favor Oregon. That's not that's not even up for debate. But that's not what's going to happen on Saturday. That's that that's not we're not handing out draft picks on Saturday. We're playing a football game, and Oregon State has shown throughout the course of the season what it can do. It showed last year in this matchup what it can do, and Oregon's defense has shown what a glaring weakness is. And credit to Andy Ludwig of Utah, not just for obviously a, a masterful job that he did last week, but My really wide receivers coach. FYI. Look, I, I, I mean, I think really, I'm I'm sure he was up burning the midnight oil, coming up with the really you know doctorate level football game plan. Uh, it probably hit him <laughs> somewhere around two fifty five in the morning, if I had to guess. Last some one day last week of uh, just running away from the best defensive player in America. Um, I'm sure that that really took a lot of time to devise. uh, And I'm sure that no one uh, on the Oregon defensive staff could have possibly foreseen the possibility that somebody might look to do that. Uh, that, I guess that's really outside the box thinking. Uh, Are you being sarcastic, James? You know, when that, when that occurs, you know, that just shows you, you know, basically how easy it is, you know, how, how simple it can be. When you have a group of tight ends and offensive linemen who can do their job so effectively against the front that, yeah, Oregon turned to its 5-2. It didn't, you know, wasn't out there playing a three-man front or something. They, they, they were going with five-man down. They just weren't getting any push. Zero. None. Nada. And Brant Keithy absolutely dominated at the tight end position, not only in terms of his receptions, but in knocking guys off the line. Well, and this isn't a matter about talent. It's a matter of scheme and execution of that scheme. And Oregon State has shown a remarkable ability in that regard on the ground. And Oregon has shown a glaring Achilles heel all year long and is coming off of a game where they were absolutely dominated and embarrassed in that way. Again, Utah converted 
11 of 14 third downs. And half of those came from four to six yards. That's not automatic. Contrary to what you may be told to believe, that is not automatic. Six of those came on the ground. Six. (laughs) If you look at the splits on the season, Oregon's run defense, third and four to six, they have faced 18 times opponents have run for 99 yards. Wow. With 12 first downs. Half of the first downs they've allowed on that range against the run came last week. That's outrageous. And then you look at Oregon State's running attack and what it's done, not just on third and short, because, yes, that does favor every offense, and they, like many, convert very, very high rate on third and one to three yards. 30 of 39 carries have resulted in first downs from that range. And don't even start on Oregon's defense in that range. It's, that There, you might just set up a turnstile. <laughs> but for 8 of 15 from third and four to six, that's a solid clip for Oregon State's offense. For Oregon's defense, like I say, 12 out of 18 carries. Six of them happened last week. And it wasn't as though... Tavion Thomas had to break 35 tackles to make it happen. So when you look at and see, oh, well, that's one game. That's one game overreaction. No, it's not one game against winning teams, winning teams, just winning, not dominant, not top five, not Ohio State, winning teams. Oregon has played five of those. Their run defense on third down is in the 120s nationally. How can you possibly look at these on paper and after 11 games and get, and, and factor in recency and say that isn't an advantage for Oregon State? Again, not going about talent, not going about talent, not going about star rankings, not going about, oh, well, they got rid of their defensive coordinator. So we're talking, no, 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 no. We're talking about this matchup, this particular aspect of the game, one team has shown great strength. The other team has shown glaring weakness. So you're saying there's an issue. Definitely. That is going to be an interesting aspect of the team to watch because if Oregon State can just pound it and pound it and pound it, it's obviously going to change the dynamic of this game and maybe obviously dilute the clear, alleged, I guess, talent. Well, no, there's a clear talent advantage Oregon has just based on recruiting and the eye test. But if you can pound the team and run it, it negates a lot of that. Let's take a break, then we'll come back and hear more from Nick Daschle, James Crepia, and Aaron Fentress. Regardless of how well each team does on the ground, at some point their quarterbacks are going to have to make plays. Both have been up and down in this area all season long. Brown, to me, had his best game against UCLA where they absolutely needed to be be able to throw the ball, and he was able to do that, especially in the second half, uh, leading them to several touchdown drives and to win that game. Also, he broke off a big long run in that game. Since then, I mean, the Colorado game, yeah, but I don't even count that. In other games, he's been kind of uh, mediocre. This last game, definitely mediocre. Chance Nolan, also up and down. Both have the ability here and there to make big plays, but they're wildly inconsistent. Nick, let's start with you. Uh, you already mentioned that you don't think they should even mess around much with the pass, just run the ball. We just heard uh, James talk about uh, how 
susceptible Oregon could be to that. So that makes sense. But clearly, we're going to see Oregon State do some passing, do some play action passing, get Nolan out of the pocket, let him use his legs as well. Uh, how do you think he stands up in the pressure of this game? Because this this is the biggest game of his career, no doubt. He's a young quarterback, unlike Brown, who's a sixth-year senior. What, what do you think, uh, or how do you think Nolan performs on uh, Saturday? He's going to have to be the Nolan that showed up at USC because the other four games on the road, he's been very inaccurate. He he tends to just – his feet are moving all over the place. Um, you know, it's another road game. I, I, I want to see how he throws the first couple times because – That'll tell me something about if he's if he's engaged, you know, if he's if he's accurate, he's he, he could be pretty effective. But boy, there's been some road games this year where he's missed receivers by a mile. I mean, a mile. And yeah. so he, you know, that's why I just don't. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with James on this or Oregon State. I just if they throw more than 15, 15 to 17 times this game, then something they're overthinking they're either overthinking things or they got behind 21 to nothing in the game because i i i don't see any reason why oregon state should should shy away from their you know current uh format of probably running the ball 70 to 73 percent of the of the plays that that they've been that well they've been about 68 to 73 percent so um and and nolan there's, it seems like there's some games where they will they will turn him loose to run. Last couple games they haven't run him at all. Not, now I, and I don't know what they'll do with Oregon, but but he's got the ability to to get out on occasion. So th- there's that factor too. But the big thing with Nolan is if 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 he's accurate, it, it's it it it's or, Oregon State's got a real good chance to to move the ball. If he if he's inaccurate, then I don't know if the running game is going to be enough for Oregon, Oregon State to win. James, A.B., um, polarizing figure all season, did not show up particularly well at all against Utah. We all know, though, that asking him to come back from 21 down is probably not a recipe for success. Uh, but still, he's a veteran guy. If they get the running game going, he's clearly very good at, at engineering and orchestrating that and delivering in that regard himself. Uh, how do you think he bounces back from this this game? And do you think he gives Oregon a clear advantage at this position in this game, given his experience level? I think there's an advantage, uh, a, a slight advantage, and a, not an enormous one. Uh, I certainly, if you if you look at certain you know numbers and metrics and I mean, whatnot, uh, Chance Lone has obviously had a fine season uh, in terms of efficiency, uh, touchdown to interception ratio. You know, he's, he certainly has some pretty pretty nice numbers. He does. Uh, Brown, his touchdown interception ratio is also pretty solid. Uh, as a whole, his completion percentage is it's okay. You know, it, could, it could certainly be better, but at sixty-two point eight, that's not you know it's not going to be the thing that costs you in the grand scheme of things. Uh, yeah, he had a tough outing at Utah. Utah's defense again we had talked about before. In and of itself, though, I don't think that Brown's tough outing at Utah is what cost him the game uh, single-handedly. He could have thrown for three more touchdowns. The defense still wasn't going to stop anything, so that, that really wasn't the issue. Uh, how does he bounce back from that? Well, it's it's kind of an unknown in a lot of ways, just in that, obviously, he's been playing through a few things, uh, and I can respect after the game that he doesn't want to get into 
you know, chapter and verse on exactly what it is that he's been dealing with, but clearly he's playing through some things. Uh, you know, the wrist is still taped up from the Wazoo game, and is that a major issue? Eh, probably not major. He got bent back pretty good against Utah and clearly was gutting that out. And again, it's this time of year, and you're playing a tough defense. You're going to have some bumps and bruises along the way. But was he in any way compromised by that? I I can't possibly speak to it, but he certainly didn't look 100%. The fact that he didn't run a lot, again, they were down a bunch. You weren't going to have him go out there and run a lot, uh, particularly in the second half. He had to use his arm. Well, again, we talked about the receiver core and the depletion that's happened there, so that's not all on him. I know Nick mentioned the susceptibility of Oregon State's defense to allowing some deep throws. Their numbers on 30-plus yard passes are actually not that bad. Uh, they're just kind of right around the national average. But they've had several break for 40-plus, and that's where they're susceptible. The good news for Oregon State is Oregon has not been able to throw almost any passes of that depth, uh, particularly in the air. So I'm not sure that that's necessarily a vulnerability that Oregon will be able to exploit very much. Uh, I'm not saying they're not going to get any. They might get one. Heck, they might get two. But I don't know if that's necessarily their recipe for a win either. I think their recipe for a win still is guided by the ground game that is very much enhanced by Brown's presence. I think what he can do on the ground is a great compliment to and vice versa that both he and Travis die really complement each other and what they do on the ground. They work best when they're both hitting and doing well in that regard. I'm not sure that whatever advantage that Anthony Brown jr. Provides at the quarterback position relative to chance Nolan in this game for the ducks. Uh, I'm not sure that it's a massive one because again, Nolan's got pretty good numbers. Uh, and when you factor in some of the third and long and longer, third and seven plus kind of numbers, that's the area where you say, well, that's really advantageous for the defense. That's where mistakes can happen. Yeah, and and Nolan has a couple of interceptions in those circumstances. He does. But his numbers in either one of those circumstances are not terrible. Not at all. You know, third and seven plus, he's got two touchdowns, two picks. So not awful. And his completion percentage is fine. His yardage is fine. Brown, his interceptions don't come in those situations either. So I don't think that there's necessarily a situation where you just say, oh, well, if either defense is able to knock the offense off kilter and uh, get in third and long, uh, the quarterback has to pass. Where's the big advantage? Probably slightly towards the Ducks in that regard, especially given their pass rush situation. Uh, when they're able to get there. But I'm not sure that because of the running game of both teams that we're going to see a whole lot of those situations anyway. Nolan's numbers, you know, as a whole look, look decent. It, it's the road numbers. He His last three road games, 11 to 25 with two picks at Washington State, uh, 15 to 26 with two picks at Cal, 20 of 38 with a pick at, at Colorado. He has not been the same quarterback on the road that he has been at home. He was, uh, but I will say his best game of the year was also on the road, the USC game. But USC has proven not to be much of a team. So, you know, I, I, 
I need to see I need to see uh the the Nolan of of Reeser Stadium take that to Autzen Stadium for I'll believe you know he's he he's going to be able to carry Oregon State. And James, I want to ask you also uh you know losing Johnson, losing Red. Granted, none of the receivers have been wildly productive this year, and that's mainly because the passing game hasn't been wildly productive. But losing those two veteran guys and then losing Pittman on top of it. Granted, there's some talent on this team, and Devin Williams to me is the best receiver on the team. But you know, how much does this hurt their passing game losing those three veteran guys? It, it certainly hurts in a big way. Again, they were three of the top four by way of production. Uh, if you want to go on overall, uh, certainly perimeter blocking from both Johnson and Red, that's their two best. Uh, I, I'm really not sure there's much debate to be had there. Devin Williams has gotten better at blocking; he's gotten uh, quite good at it. Uh, but there were instances earlier in the season where, uh, again, I, the, the, this, the discrepancy between uh, the super seniors and some of the others in the receiving core in a blocking perspective was uh, vast. Uh, even even as the rest of the receiving core has gotten better in that regard, yeah, it just <laughs> that they they definitely were missing a lot there uh, on perimeter blocking. But ultimately, we're talking about receivers; they got to be catching the ball. Yeah, Devin Williams still offers them quite a bit, and. Chris Hudson had a very nice game this past game against Utah, one of the few individual performances that was really of note uh, in, a, in a positive way. The two freshmen, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton, who played as well, that's going to – that's we're talking about a receiving court. Those four guys are going to probably comprise north of 90% of the snaps at the receiver position for this team right now. That's it's just what they're down to. It's what they have. Uh, again, there's just not it's not a lot of other a lot of other options at this point. So, and some of the other younger receivers they also have in that regard, Isaiah Brevard and other freshmen. Some of these guys have spent a good chunk of the year on scout team. I'm no doubt that they're getting a few more looks at second team these days. But eventually, you know, you're not going to. We're talking about game twelve of the season. You know, we're not going to suddenly start wheeling out guys for the first time. Or second time uh, in really big spots. It's it's just not it's not really how it works. So yes, losing the seniors, losing Pittman to uh, an in season departure, all in the span of a week, suboptimal to say the least. Uh, it really deals a position group a massive blow. And you're you're right, Aaron. Look, it's not about one go to guy or one runaway guy by way of production, they don't have those guys. It's that if everything was being done in the aggregate, okay, that's that's an approach, and that's clearly worked for them. But you just took out three massive pieces of the aggregate, and there's no longer a very large well of talent to keep tapping into to replace all of it. You know, you lose one guy, you say, all right, the rest of the group has to step up. You lose three guys in a week. Uh, like I say, any position group is sooner or later going to say, well, there's just not, there's, there's not three more guys to keep tapping into. You know, there's only so many pieces you can move around. So it definitely hurts them in a big way. Uh, but like I say, I think, I, I think it's a combination of the perimeter blocking in particular, uh, the vocal leadership, on the field, during the game, uh, on the sideline, in the meeting room. I'm, I'm sure, frankly, knowing those two young men, that 
they're probably going to be around the facility. They're probably going to still be in meetings. They're probably going to still do all those things here this week, especially it's their last game. What, what a brutal way for your career to come to an end. What absolutely just gut wrenching for Johnny Johnson in particular, the guy, last guy who left the field after the Fiesta bowl. It's back home in Arizona for him. And he has to think about whether or not he's going to return or not. He comes back and, for his senior season, his super senior season, to end in that fashion uh, due to injury is just, like I say, you feel for him. You, feel, you really feel for him because uh, beyond the fact – forget about production or which other thing. Uh, a player who's just been – from a media perspective, all we can ask is by way of uh, professionalism to deal with. But from what you hear to a man, forget about on the record and all the other stuff, uh, just somebody who's universally considered to be a good guy. Uh, around the facility, around the team, and everything else. So really feel for him, but it certainly hurts the receiving core as a whole to have to have him out, Red out, and Pittman leave all in a week. is That's hard to overcome. All right, let's touch real quickly on uh, special teams, starting with Nick. Do you see any advantage there at all or any disadvantage for the Beavers in this game in the special teams area? Well, uh, punting-wise, Oregon State's got one of the – he, they have one of the top punters in the country, even though he doesn't show up on the stat sheet, Luke Lochner. He's, his only problem is he doesn't have enough punts He, you know, he because Oregon State either goes for it a lot. The run game's fourth, too good. Uh, yeah, the run game's good, and they go for it on fourth down a lot. So he's only punted 25 times this year, but he's averaging 47 yards a punt. And um, he's, he's good at, at, at putting it inside the 10. Um, he's had a couple issues the last few games. He dropped a punt snap against Arizona state, which set up their only touchdown. They got the ball inside the five and, and he had a kick blocked at, uh, at Cal. So there's a little bit of that, but the punt game has been, is, has been solid, uh, kicking, kicking wise, their kickoffs, they, they rarely, they rarely get one returned the, the field goals. Yeah. Everett Hayes. I'll be honest. He's been he's been spotty of late. He's he kicked a sixty yarder at Colorado. He kicked a fifty two yarder last week, but he's missed three, you know, three kicks inside of forty that, you know, you need him to hit, especially the one at Colorado in overtime. So he he's a good kicker, but he but he needs to get a little bit more consistent. Um, as far as the return game, I mean, it's just been there's just nothing there right now because. Teams are, you know, they're, they're rarely a, a kickoff return these days, and 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 the punting's been so good for Oregon State that they they don't really they don't really have any they haven't really had one returned on them. So I think there was a time, and I can't remember. It was like a couple of weeks ago. I haven't looked lately. They I don't I think they had zero yards punt return yardage. I think through nine games or something like that. I haven't, I haven't looked here lately, but I don't believe they've had. They've had very few yardage, so you know, their special teams is it, it, it's good. It's not great, but it's good. James, special teams group had a horrible game at Utah. Uh, you know, all season they've been solid, I, I would imagine, but uh, I, I sort of see them in this game against Oregon State, and uh, you know, the mistakes they had in this past game are, are those just blips off the radar, or are those symptoms of something else? Well, I think in the from a field goal perspective, I think it was probably a little bit more of an anomaly. I mean, they entered the game ten of ten and left it ten of twelve. Uh, so that's 
you know, sooner or later you got to say, all right, well, is that indicative of something or is that just a one-off? Well, in one, on the block kick, that was just was what it was. It was just a blown blocking assignment on the right side of the line. I mean, that, that's really all there is to it. Uh, after you have that, is it understandable for a kicker to possibly have that be going through his mind uh, ahead of a kick where it was uh, it was just playing bad? I mean, it was really, really bad. Badly, badly missed. Yeah, probably. Probably. But having said that, uh, I'm not sure that if this game is coming down to the kickers, uh, that quite honestly would be a bit of a surprise. Um, I, I, I don't think I think any any advantage either team would have in that regard is pretty negligible. Uh, on kickoff perspective, uh, Oregon State's touchback percentage is almost double that of Oregon's in that regard. Uh, so, if there's a possibility that one team is going to have a greater uh, return clip. It would probably be Oregon State in that way. On punts, neither team has allowed a lot by way of punt return yards on the season. Uh, and if when you factor in in the state of Oregon, uh, when they're playing at home, and yes, I realize this will be a road game for Oregon State, but the conditions and elements are uh, obviously basically the same, uh, whereby you know it's a little bit different when you're talking about going on the road and playing in a totally different climate or playing at an elevation, or things like that, that could factor into distance of kicks and those sorts of things. Uh, here, I think it will be largely the same. Well, like I say, on kickoffs, Everett Hayes has done a terrific job by way of touchback percentage, and on the road, he's done even better. On punts, Oregon's coming off of a brutal, brutal performance by way of... Uh, punt coverage, and it wasn't just the return touchdown, which was obviously a mess. But beyond the return touchdown, they had an earlier return where guys got downfield and they didn't make the tackle immediately. And Covey was able to get, I believe it was like 10, 12 yards of a return just without much effort at all. Uh, I mean, guys were in position to make a tackle and just didn't. So Neither team has had a lot allowed by way of punt returns in general, both in yards or in overall uh, number of returns. Yes, Oregon's coming off having just given up a very long one, but at home, only three returns have happened against the Ducks, and they've gone for no yards. Oregon State, for that matter, to Nick's point, when they've been at home, have only had one <laughs> one return against them for zero yards. Uh, so... Neither team giving up much in the state of Oregon uh, by way of uh, punt return. So I, I don't think that that'll necessarily be a big factor. If it is, again, I give the advantage to the Beavers because they're the ones who are more likely to get a return based off what Oregon just did. And again, that when we're talking about kick return as well, that their kicker doesn't get as much of a touchback clip as Oregon State's does. So if there is an advantage there, I would give it narrowly in the kicking game as in general and return game in general. I would give it narrowly to Oregon State, uh, but again, I'm not sure that that in and of itself will be uh, the deciding factor. But if it is a factor, I would give a a narrow edge to Oregon State. Forty nine out of sixty five on 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 kick on touchbacks for uh, for Everett Hayes. So they've only had sixteen kicks um, returned this year. 
All right. Well, we've touched on the biggest components of this game, but let me get from each of each one of you if you have a wild card uh, player group uh, matchup where you think could truly tip the scales one way or the other. Start with you, Nick. Is there anything outside of the running game or run defense outside of quarterback? Is there any particular matchup of interest to you in this game that you think could tip the scales? Well, I, I mean, we keep waiting for the tight ends to break out in terms of, of catching the ball. And I, I just not sure that's, <laughs> I think they're just, they're, they're just going to lock in on that, on the run. I think the one that could, could be uh, interesting is, is chance Nolan to Treshawn Harrison. He he's been playing a lot better late. He's caught. Uh, he's, I think he's had 13 or 14 catches over the last three games, something like that. Um, he, he's got a lot more involved in the offense. So I, I, w- I would look to Sean Harrison to see what sort of a game he has uh, Saturday against the Ducks. And how about you, James? Any uh, key matchup or position group you were looking at in this game besides Oregon State's tight ends? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in terms of really trying to think outside the box, um, and, and both proverbially and literally in this case, uh, <laughs> I, I really – I'd be hard pressed. I mean, it kind of factors in in, the, in a similar way uh, to the to the grander issue, and and I really can't ignore that. And that's uh, still the run run defense. But I'd say really probably both linebacker course, um, and obviously we've hit on them a bit. But uh, yeah, I'd say probably both linebacker cores in that way. Um, and they're going to be busy. Yeah, they're going to be <laughs> they're busy. Gonna be they're going to be downhill, holes, gonna, aren't they? You know, and and ultimately, <laughs> yeah. F- Flow and and fitting uh, against the run, both teams are going to have to do a, a really good job of that uh, in order to, to to have success. And that you could say that every week, but really against the opposing offense in this game in particular, uh, I'm I, I'm not sure it really has to be like I say too much outside the box. I think the linebacking cores are going to have to do uh, a really masterful job in that way, uh, both ways, and. Obviously, Oregon's still leaning on a couple of younger players in that regard. Now, that said, at this point, Jeff Boss is – I know he's technically a freshman, but at this point, it's its the end of his freshman season. He's, you know, we're basically past that. Um, but they are working in some additional guys. And, you know, last week we saw Jackson LaDuke for the first time made his season debut uh, after a preseason injury. So, you know, there are some guys in the rotation uh, at linebacker for the Ducks who are playing some meaningful reps right now who, uh, you know, aren't necessarily the most experienced of players in that regard. So – I'd say if I had to pick, you know, a group in general, yeah, it's going to be probably linebackers against whether we're talking about O-line slash tight end, probably much more O-line related when it comes to Oregon State's linebackers against Oregon's front uh, against the O-line slash tight ends uh, for the Ducks against Oregon State's front because of just what they each do schematically. I don't know if you'd want to call him a wild card at this point, but Jack Coletto has been getting more and more involved in the offense as the seasons wore on. They, Against ASU, they put him at receiver, H back, uh, Wildcat quarterback. They're they're using him, but they're they're starting to use him quite a bit because teams can't stop him. And and <laughs> you, he, I, I'm sure he's going to play. He's going to show up a bunch on Saturday um, in short yardage situations. And like I said, I, I yeah, I may he might, maybe he's the wild card for Oregon State because. You know, if they use him eight to ten times on offense, maybe maybe that's the difference because he's going to convert all those. He's going to convert most of those plays into something big or something meaningful. One player, if I had to pick one individual player as a, as a 
really, if I, this would be somewhat outside the box, but it, it, we saw it a little bit last week, but we only, I think we only saw like one or two snaps, um, and that's that Seven McGee has kind of beginning to split time at receiver because of those departures that we mentioned. And mm-hmm. you saw him line up a receiver at least once on the reverse uh, to Hudson that ended up going for negative yardage. Um, that is a bit of an X factor. Uh, he has been split out receiver a couple times before earlier in the season. Uh, they've gotten it to him, you know, on very, very select circumstances. But because of his speed and agility, and now he's the lead punt returner as well. So we talk about punts as well, if we would actually get a return. But I would say, you know, a player who, if you have looked at the box scores, if you didn't know the teams, if you just, you know, looking for the first time and you're going, well, this isn't a guy who's way, way up there by way of production, carries, touches, you name it. Uh, could he be a factor? Yeah, he could be uh, because he's, he's being put into roles right now in a far, far greater capacity uh, than he had been earlier in the season. And again, because of not just that, that's like, that sounds by default. No, but he's got unbelievable speed and agility uh, that if, you know, if he, if he can manage to get the ball in the open field, I don't care what defense he's playing against. He can certainly make something happen. Uh, so if I had to pick one individual player who could be that really under the radar uh, and suddenly have a big individual play uh, that could change a game, uh, both by his abilities and, like I say, because the more prominent role he's taken, I'd say McGee would be that guy. All right. Now, you both have given your semi-predictions. You're both leaning Oregon State, but haven't committed fully, it doesn't sound like. Uh, so I'm not going to hold you to a prediction as, as we head out here. But just th- the last thing. Who needs this game more? Nick, who needs this game more? Oregon, Oregon State. Well, shoot. I mean, I'm going to say Oregon <laughs> I'm going to say Oregon State only because, you know, A, they haven't been on a big stage much in quite a while and I think it I don't know that losing to Oregon is going to is going to change how, you know the the trajectory of the season that it's been successful and everything, but it'd be so 2021 to have Oregon state or Washington state in the, in the PAC 12 title game. I mean, Oregon, Utah, I'm not sure, you know, uh, you know, okay. But I just think this year is one of those years where (laughs) you're just going, something's weird. Something weird's got to happen. And, and I just have this feeling it's going to be the Cougars or, or, or Beavers in the, in the Pac-12 title game, so, um, but I, yeah, I mean it, yeah, I, I'm just to say Oregon State because I mean Oregon's been there, done that. I, I don't know, you know, now that national championship things out of the out of the way. I mean they've been there, so I don't know that Oregon it means that much to Oregon. On the other side of this, for James here, Mario took over a completely different situation than Smith took over. Mario's done a great job recruiting top ten classes. He's uh, won a Rose Bowl. He's won a couple of conference titles, although one has an asterisk by it. And he's in position to win another one. But, you know, given the differences between the two conferences, to lose back-to-back games to Oregon State would not necessarily be a good look. So I ask you, James, who needs this game more? No, to me, it's not even a debate. I mean, it, it, Oregon desperately needs this game uh, from a from a uh, outside perspective. Uh, to me, for, for the season, for the here and now, uh, Oregon State, the haze in the barn. You know, unless we're debating about, yes, theoretically, if the Apple Cup goes their way and they could get into uh, the the championship game and then you could, you know, have illusions of grandeur about a Rose Bowl or something like that. Sure. But at this point, uh, 
they're bowl eligible. We're not talking about playing for five or six. And, you know, unless we're going to get into jockeying position for, uh, you know, the holiday versus the Vegas bowls. I mean, that's, you know, it's done. It's over. You know, mission accomplished. Uh, winning a second time would certainly be impactful, but losing would not be devastating. Uh, for Oregon to, in the span of a 14-day span, go from number three in the country, driver's seat to the playoff, to Alamo Bowl or worse would be beyond devastating. Uh, absolutely beyond devastating. So, and from an outside perspective, oh my goodness, in an off-season long where their season opener is against Georgia's, who very well could be coming off uh, a national championship, even if they lose 20 guys to the draft. Uh, no, 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 no. There's not, to me, there's not even a question here. Uh, again, Oregon State, winning would be tremendous for them. They've already had a great season. But what they've accomplished has already been defined. Uh, it will only be defined further, but it's already been defined. Oregon has already suffered the, uh, you know, their battleship has basically been sunk by way of the national perspective. If they were to get back-to-back losses to their in-state rival, who is not even recruiting anywhere in the same universe uh, or getting the same attention on a national stage, much of it disproportionately and unfair to Oregon State over the course of the season. I had said it back in October that the, the, the way that the television picks were happening, that Beavers deserved bigger and better spotlights than they were getting at that time. They're one of the better stories in the Power Five this season. It's been totally undercovered from a national perspective. Right, but it's done now. For Oregon, from a national perspective, they were getting the attention. All right, they're now out of the conversation. If they were to lose back-to-back games, not even make it to the Pac-12 championship game, which is like the, the not the, forget about bronze medal game. That's like you know the, that that's to, to take a line from Rob Manford. That's the hunk of metal, you know, in the national perspective. That's that nobody's paying attention to that in the national perspective. But at least get there. At least give yourself a chance. You are the two-time reigning champion, no matter how much Aaron hates it. If you don't even get there, <laughs> then you've dealt you know you've dealt yourself a real real blow. So no, to me, or from a national perspective which is so much where this sport is, again, where the playoff takes up all the oxygen in the room, particularly in the month of November, there's not even a question here. Because like I say, Oregon State's already accomplished their mission for the season, and they've done a tremendous job in that way. But Oregon has absolutely, I mean, like they say, think of a 14-day span, three in the country, driver's seat, could they even be number two, et cetera, et cetera, to Alamo Bowl or worse. Uh, That would be... Such a fall from grace. Especially uh, after beating Ohio State and having to hear for two months how that was the biggest win in program history nonsense. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it was I, a big win. What are we going to put it, an asterisk next to that? A, that didn't it happen? It was a big win. Okay. okay. I just said I just said people were saying it was the biggest win in program Did they replace history. Washington in the game due to COVID? Say, they, they, it they, wasn't they, a big win. It was a huge win. I'm just saying that to go from that, to go from that perspective, oh, my God, look at us. To yeah, losing to Oregon State in back-to-back years and not maybe not going like yeah, I I agree with you. It would be an absolutely devastating situation. Ducks Twitter would go absolutely bananas. Um, that said, I, clearly Oregon State has a lot to play for, but it is a different animal. So I, I I'm agreeing with you, James. All right, anything else you guys want to add before we sign off here on the Ducks Confidential Beaver Banter podcast? No, I think I'm about worn out. <laughs> James better be James. You, be, James better be worn out. <laughs> James can go forever. James a pro. What you got, James? Anything else? We good? Oh, I just uh, wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving and uh, again. Uh, you too, uh, man. A uh, good time of year uh, for 
football and a good time of year for everything else. But uh, not look, looking forward to it, even though it's a game that, yes, it has significant meaning this year, more than it has in recent years. Uh, but boy, it really, uh, a lot of the juice in the game really got, you know, the, the wind got taken out of the sails in a big way this past week. Uh, but I hope for for fans that that isn't necessarily the case. I'm sure it won't be because it is a, uh, be a heated and important fans. rivalry. But <laughs> boy, oh boy, uh, you know, the 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 possibility that was there uh, was was it would have been at a far far grander stage. But again, you know, maybe maybe next season, maybe down the road. But obviously, again, still still an important game, still an impactful game. But uh, yeah, uh, still looking forward to it regardless. And again, uh, depending on how the Apple Cup goes on Friday, could very well be a winner take all. Frankly, that would make it a little bit more fun. That would that would provide a little bit of a jolt uh, to an already pretty good situation absolutely all right i'm aaron Fenches. they are nick dashel and james crepia i will be back next week individually with each one to go over the civil war i think or maybe we'll do another joint civil war review confidential ducks banter podcast we'll figure it out over the weekend anyway click the subscribe button and uh, be sure to hit us up again next week thanks for listening